Alleluia. Ah, fantastic. Good morning, Light City Church, for everyone who is here. Good morning to those who are watching online. Good morning to our Buffalo family who are watching. And good morning to those who will be watching later on down the road. Wow, that was phenomenal. What a privilege and a pleasure it is to be here this morning, worshiping with you, sharing with you. Just, yeah, thank you for being here today. May you live in interesting times. Now wait. <laughs> Absolutely. Doesn't that sound like a blessing you speak over someone? The first time I came across this phrase was when one of my favorite authors used it in a book a while back. And in the context of the story he used it in, it was actually a curse. He was speaking, may you live in interesting times. And in fact, historically, that is how that phrase has been used. And it can be traced back to perhaps an early Chinese proverb, which is a little less subtle in its meaning, because it says, it is better to be a dog in a time of peace than to be a man in times of chaos. We live in interesting times. We live in a time that could be termed as chaotic. The truth is, there has always been interesting times, and there will always be interesting times, because we live in a fallen world. We live in a state of chaos almost continuously, sometimes more, sometimes less. We're not always experiencing, however, such interesting times on a global scale, or even a national scale. Sometimes it is in our local concern that we are experiencing chaos, unpredictability. We're experiencing pain, we're experiencing fear, and we're fearing, you know, and we've got anxiety. But even with the massive shifts that we see on a global scale at the moment, it's the consequences of these decisions that are being made and how it affects us and, and our loved ones, how it affects our livelihoods, how it affects our ability to be able to provide for those that we care for. That is where our concern comes in during these times. And naturally, we'd like to have control over these situations. We like to know what to expect. And as much as we try to wrest control from our day-to-day -day circumstances, the unexpected happens. And the added wrinkle today is that we are exposed to so much information, information that we have to process, information that we have to sift through, information that we have to decide, is this right? Is this wrong? Is there bias? Is this correct? In fact, Research shows that we are exposed to as much as 34 gigabytes of information daily. That is the equivalent of 105,000 words that we are bombarded with and that we have to process either consciously or subconsciously. It's no surprise that stress and anxiety have become such huge factors in our day-to-day -day life. That means so much so that we're not even aware that we're stressed because we live in a constant state of mid to low levels of anxiety all the time. And ongoing stress, living in that state of constant stress, has lasting effects, not just on our emotional well-being, but prolonged exposure to stress, whether it's big events or you know, just multiple small events of stress. It will absolutely begin to affect our body and our physical health. Fear, stress, anxiety, uncertainty, doubt about our current circumstances can absolutely be debilitating. It can shut us down as we are overwhelmed by what's before us 
and we may feel as though we have no reserves left. The consequence is that if we cannot see past our present, we will not be able to dream of our future. How do we navigate in these times of, of strife? How do we find peace in these times? How do we thrive when it looks as though the world around us is shutting down, when we're faced with decisions that affect our safety, security, and yes, our livelihood? What does God say about these circumstances? Now, keep in mind that there's no shame or guilt to be attributed to these feelings of fear or anxiety or concern. It's just that God has something better for us. This message is simply called perspective. Perspective can either mean someone's viewpoint, or it can also mean looking at objects in relation to each other. For example, an elephant is big to us, but it's absolutely massive to the mouse. Today, we are asking for God to show us his viewpoint so that we can see our circumstances in relation to his truth and his promises. We are asking for his perspective to keep things in perspective. I'm going to pray to start. Father, thank you so much for the honor and the privilege of being able to share what you have placed on my heart this morning. Holy Spirit, may you speak the Father's heart through me today. May your love and your peace always, always, always be found in the midst of chaos. And that is my prayer for this time and for every day forwards. And I pray that blessing over this time this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, thankfully and unsurprisingly, God has a lot to say about life and present circumstances. And more specifically, God has a lot to say about fear and how it relates to our everyday life. Now, we were never designed to live in a constant state of fear or anxiety. That was never the plan. Far from it. Fear not. Do not be afraid. Do not be anxious. Or any variation thereof is the most repeated phrase in the Bible, both in the Old Testament and in the New Testament. And here are just a few examples. Deuteronomy 31.8. It is the Lord who goes before you. He will be with you. He will not fail you or forsake you. Do not fear or be dismayed. Isaiah 41.10. Do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be afraid, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my victorious right hand. Jeremiah 1.8. Do not be afraid of them, for I am with you to deliver you, says the Lord. Joshua 1.9, I hereby command you, be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened or dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Matthew 10.31, so do not be afraid. You are of more value than many sparrows. John 14.27, this is one of my favorites. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled, and do not let them be afraid. And it's not that God is just saying, don't be afraid. He qualifies it by saying, don't be afraid, for I am with you. Don't be afraid, for I will help you. And that's important because he's changing the perspective. He is pulling the individual's or the group's attention away from their dire circumstance or overwhelming odds, and he's pulling that perspective, their attention, back to himself. Perspective, what we choose to focus on, what we choose to keep in front of ourselves and how we view the challenges that surround us will either feed our fear or it will feed our faith. Now, 
I have, let's say, an interesting relationship with heights. It's not that I am overly afraid of being up a ladder or on a roof, but it's not my preferred choice of activity. It might have something to do with, you know, you know, anyway. That's <laughs> Luckily, for a large part of my life, this is not something I've had to contend with. Up until recently, where I started a new career, where I am actually up and down ladders on a very regular basis, and on roofs. For example, I was on a roof this week, in the rain. Not overly fun. <laughs> and even here at, you know, at Light City, even here, a lot, of the, a lot of the jobs that I've helped with have involved me being on a ladder, you know, in the ceiling, running cables, fixing wires, fixing leaks on the roof on a pretty regular basis. And one of those times, actually, I was, uh, we were dismantling or, or dismounting one of the ceiling fans in the Light City kids' room. So here I am on a 12-foot ladder, highest possible rung that you are safely allowed to stand in, torso in the ceiling, trying to disconnect the electrical of this ceiling fan. And I asked Sandy, um, who was helping me. Sandy, if you're watching, love you, buddy. So I asked Sandy, <laughs> hey, is the breaker off? His answer was yes. It wasn't. <laughs> <laughs> Being shocked up a ladder with your torso in the ceiling is not something I recommend. <laughs> so apart from these fun times, where does my discomfort from being high up stem from? Okay, what's the first thing you were told not to do when you go up a ladder? What's the first thing? Don't look down. What's inevitably the first thing I used to do when climbing up a ladder? I looked down. <laughs> now, in looking down, my focus, my perception shifted to suddenly being very aware of the ground below me. It became very aware of worst-case scenario options, as in the floor, as in me falling onto the floor. <laughs> nothing in my circumstances physically changed the moment I looked down. I was still on the ladder, nothing ha had happened. My ability to climb the ladder hadn't diminished. But in focusing and acknowledging worst-case scenarios, how I acted up that ladder and the decisions I made while being up there are vastly affected by this new perspective. The fear itself could cause the very thing I'm afraid of to happen, because in that very raw emotion, I could make mistakes. Now, not only that, but I am now less effective at completing the task that I was needing to climb the ladder for in the first place. When I learned to keep my focus on the task at hand and not on the ground below me, I have learned to be more and more comfortable working in high places, which I'm sure my boss, Jason, if you're watching, which you will be, I hope, um, is a good thing. <laughs> my perception, what I choose to keep in front of me, holds sway over my peace of mind. Does this mean that I should ignore the potential danger of being on a ladder or on a roof? No, because that's how accidents happen but I choose to focus on the strength of the equipment I'm using and the safety precautions that have been set up. I choose to focus on not what will feed my fear, my anxiety. Instead, I choose to focus on the reliability of what allowed me to be up there in the first place. One of my most favorite Bible stories in, uh, in the world, uh, of all times, it's never changed, is found in Matthew 14. Verses 24 to 32 gives us the story of Peter and Jesus walking on the water. I'll read it to you. Oh, and I should say, there's 
a lot of Bible references that I'll be going through. And if you'd like, I can provide a list uh, through, uh, through Brittany um, for all the verses that we go through, including the translations. But here we have Matthew 14, 24 to 32. Meanwhile, the disciples were in trouble far away from land, for a strong wind had risen, and they were fighting heavy waves. About three o'clock in the morning, Jesus came toward them, walking on the water. When the disciples saw him walking on the water, they were terrified, and in their fear, they cried out, It's a ghost! But Jesus spoke to them at once, Don't be afraid, he said. Take courage, I am here. Then Peter called to him, Lord, if it's really you, tell me to come to you walking on the water. Yes, come, Jesus said. So Peter went over the side of the boat and walked on the water toward Jesus. But when he saw the strong wind and the waves, he was terrified and began to sink. Save me, Lord, he shouted. Jesus immediately reached out and grabbed him. You have so little faith, Jesus said. Why did you doubt me? When they climbed back into the boat, the wind stopped. Then the disciples worshipped him. You really are the Son of God, they exclaimed. So here we have the disciples caught in the storm on a boat, and they are afraid. Terrified is the word. Jesus walks onto the scene, literally, and in the midst of the storm, and he reassures them, don't be afraid, take courage, I am here. And it's from that place of reassurance that Peter, not, not focusing on the storm, the storm hasn't subsided when Jesus walks on, the storm is still raging. But it's from the place of reassurance, he now knows who is in front of him, and that gives him the faith to step out onto the water. Peter's circumstances didn't change, but it was who was in front of him and who he was focused on that allowed him to take that monumental step of faith. It's because Peter knew who Jesus was. The moment, however, that he takes his eyes off of Jesus, the moment faith is replaced by fear is the moment Peter starts sinking. At this point, Jesus doesn't still the storming, doesn't calm the wave to save Peter. No. The circumstances, once again, do not change. Peter is rescued when Jesus pulls him back to himself. The word used is immediately. There was no hesitation on Jesus' part. There was no letting Peter sink down into the waves. There was no letting him struggle. The admonishment that, Peter, that, sorry, that Jesus gives Peter, you have so little faith, why did you doubt me, was not so much a statement against Peter's lack of faith causing him to sink. No, it was about his desperate cry out to be saved, for there to even be a moment where Peter doubted that Jesus would indeed save him. There was not a moment when Jesus was going to let Peter sink. And God has never let me sink. Last month, when I had the privilege of, of sharing with you, I mentioned that my upbringing involved a lot of moving, a lot of international moving. I may not have expressed just how much moving there was. Uh, I mean, the longest I stayed in a single location growing up was four years. And it wasn't just moving. Uh, my dad is a highly specialized software engineer, so he worked for a lot of different companies doing contract work, and those contracts lasted between six months to a year. And of course, when the contracts were done, I have to look for more work. That meant a lot of my childhood was spent in a constant state of not knowing what was coming. Are we going to have a roof over our head? You know, are we going to have enough money for food to eat? Now, thankfully, my parents, um, they instilled and imparted the, their hope in God's faithfulness to me and my brother during these times of uncertainty. Time and time again, we saw God provide. Never once were we without shelter or without food. 
It certainly wasn't an easy time, far from it. But as I look back on that time, I don't remember the anxiety or stress. I remember God's goodness. Later, when I was 21, uh, my parents had moved to Canada, uh, and I was still staying within the Netherlands because I was working and had started a relationship with Jaden, who is, of course, now my wife. Working in Amsterdam, Amsterdam is one of the most densely populated urban centers within the world. Uh, in fact, the Netherlands is actually Europe's most densely populated country. So housing is a premium. In fact, to rent in Amsterdam, you can be on a waiting list for up to 10 years. <laughs> and for those of us who were not on a waiting list for 10 years, hadn't even been in the country for 10 years, our option was to either apartment sit, house sit, you know, we would find housing through friends, hey, can you, can you come crash at my place while I'm away from the country? You could find it through, uh, through ads, through word of mouth. So in the last year of my time in Amsterdam, I moved six times within that year. Now, during the season, I remembered all the times that God had showed his faithfulness when providing for my family when we had been moving all through my childhood. And I kept these memories, these records of what he had done before for me and my family at the front of my mind. I had to keep my perception, my perspective of these times rooted firmly in these remembrances so that my expectations were fully persuaded that he would provide again. The first time I had to move during this last year period, I knew where I was going to live two months before I had to move. The next time, it was about a month, and so on and so forth, until literally the last time, it was the day of. Bags packed, boxes packed, absolute last-minute provision. <sighs> but what never happened, what never happened was not having a roof over my head. There was a peace that I had during this season, God had shown himself to be good time and time again. My perception of my circumstances was informed by my understanding of who God had shown himself to be. Yes, it might have been a little nice knowing beforehand a little further where I was going to live. But because of God's faithfulness, I didn't need to. He knew where I was going to live even before I had the need. In his love and graciousness, graciousness uh, and because I did need to grow in my faith, he didn't start with that period with, okay, this is where you're going to live that very same day. He does have grace and he does have mercy. And yes, he knows that we have to grow. But I now have, and for the rest of my life, I have a testimony to stand on and an expectation and a hope. I am fully persuaded in his ability to provide. Another time a little more recently than I've had to really stand on God's faithfulness is just before coming to Light City. So I used to own a retail store in Niagara Falls. Owned it, operated it, and ran it for seven years. And as a small business, you can imagine there were lots of weeks where I'd be working you know, 60, 70 hours a week to get it up and running. You pour everything you have into your business. You pour all your time, your money, your energy. This is what I was going to do for the rest of my life and perhaps even pass on to my kids if they wanted to. About four years ago, we had to make the hard decision to close that business down. So all of a sudden, and literally, from one week to the next, it was business, now what do I do? It's one of those times where I remembered God's faithfulness and I knew who to turn to because all of a sudden, all my security had vanished, all my provision had vanished, 
And the only thing I knew to do in that time of desperation was to turn to God. This passage became absolutely fundamental in me getting through that time. It's Matthew 6, verses 25 to 33. And this is Jesus speaking. That is why I tell you not to worry about everyday life. Whether you have enough food and drink or enough clothes to wear, isn't life more than food and your body more than clothing? Look at the birds. They don't plant or harvest or store food in barns, for your heavenly Father feeds them. And aren't you far more valuable to him than they are? Can all your worries add a single moment to your life? And why worry about your clothing? Look at the lilies of the field and how they grow. They don't work or make their clothing. Yet Solomon in all his glory was not dressed as beautifully as they are. And if God cares so wonderfully for wildflowers that are here today and thrown in the fire tomorrow, he will certainly care for you. Why do you have so little faith? So don't worry about these things saying, what will we eat? What will we drink? What will we wear? These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers, but your heavenly Father already knows all your needs. And I'd like to emphasize this next verse. Seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously, and he will give you everything you need. Will give you everything you need. And as we continue looking at perspective, does it mean that we are to just focus solely on our current day, that we should only concern ourselves with what is directly in front of us? Absolutely not. The goal is that we can move past our current circumstances so that we can indeed dream with God. We should dream with God and we can absolutely ask him for what purpose he has for us, what steps, what good works he has laid out before us. We should anticipate what's ahead with hope because our hope is not anchored in a system or a plan or even having every question answered. It is anchored in the unchanging God and his promises who has spoken time and time again, I am with you. When our circumstances seem overwhelming, when we are surrounded by what seems impossible to move through, God is a way maker. The Bible is full full of stories, of testimonies, of ways made where there seemed to be no way. When the Israelites were chased out of Egypt by the Egyptians and they were cornered at the Red Sea, what seemed like an insurmountable barrier in the natural, God parted the waters of the sea. When God delivered the city of Jericho that was surrounded by impenetrable walls, he made the walls fall. When Gideon faced the Midianite army of 105 thousand soldiers, initially with only 32,000 soldiers, God provided the way to victory. And that was only after God's recruitment process reducing that 32,000 to 300. 300 against 135,000. And God made a way. In the book of Exodus, when the Israelites were in the desert, God provided food supernaturally by making manna appear from the sky daily, and also quail to appear so that they could have bread and meat. And this happened on a daily basis for 40 years. And they were only meant to gather enough manna for the day. And if they gathered more than that, they found the excess had become rotten and unedible the next day. The only exception was, of course, the day before the Sabbath, where they had to gather enough to cover both that day and the Sabbath so that they could take the Sabbath as a day of rest. 
It meant that the Israelites were put in a situation where they really had to learn to rely on God's supernatural provision daily. And because being in a desert, there was no moment of striving in the natural that could have provided this nourishment. Their circumstances required God to provide a way where there was no way. And their journey comes to a, a, a bit of a conclusion with this, Exodus 16.32. And Moses said, this is what the Lord has commanded. Take an omer, so a measurement, of manna, and keep it for the generations to come, so they can see the bread I give you to eat in the wilderness, when I brought you out of Egypt. God wanted the Israelites to keep a memento of his goodness and provision, so that future generations had a reminder that God provided a way when there was no way. In fact, so many of Israel's national holidays and traditions were created as ways to mark and remember the times that God had supernaturally intervened against odds that were impossible to overcome in the natural. He provided and protected for Israel time and time again. And you'd think that any number of these miracles would be enough for the nation of Israel to have the expectation of God to come through again. And yet the nation of Israel complained time and time again. And they demonstrated fear and anxiety in the face of obstacles and discomfort. This is why God knew that they needed to make it a point to create markers and times to remember his faithfulness to generations to come. He knew that the Israelites would need intentional times to reset their perspective, to bring to mind all the times God demonstrated that he was bigger than anything Israel deemed insurmountable. God wanted to make sure that his demonstrable greatness was louder than the fear that they felt. And for us too, in Philippians 4.8 it states, Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there is any virtue and if there is anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. We are meant to keep the things of God, the truth of the kingdom, his promises, the examples of his faithfulness at the forefront of our minds. It is a deliberate, intentional effort. We choose to continuously keep our perspective on who God is, what he has done, what he has said, both in his written word, but also his rhema word. Those words of encouragement or transformation that he has spoken over you in your times with him. We do this because fear, anxiety, pain, grief are all loud emotions that command our attention and warp our very perspective. We have his word, but we also have the testimonies and experiences of his faithfulness in our lives that we can call them. And not just our personal lives, but your lives here at Light City. We have so many testimonies of God's faithfulness that we can pull on just in this house. But not just in this house, the entire world of believers have testimonies that we can pull from and say, God, if you do that for them, you can do that for me. And I mentioned earlier with just how much information we are bombarded with, there is a silver lining. It is now easier than ever to find these testimonies, to listen to the teachings, to get commentary on the Bible, to get greater understanding, to get encouragement. We could watch a different video of God's miracles every single day for the rest of our lives and not see the same video duplicated because he is faithful a million times over. God's goodness is tangible and is represented in the multitude of ways he has come through countless of times to countless lives of those who have placed their trust in him, 
who have turned their eyes and their attention to him. And it's always a choice. It is always going to have to be a choice which voice we give space in our lives. But when we choose to quiet ourselves in the midst of the storm and focus on the one who saves, to give attention to the Holy Spirit when he speaks truth and comfort into our circumstance, we will see breakthrough. The answers may not always be the one that we want. We may not always be rescued or pulled from our circumstances. But we have the promise that we see in Romans 8.28, that we know that all things, all things work together for good to those who love God and to those who are called according to his purpose. All things. The Apostle Paul also provided you know, his thoughts on this in 2 Corinthians 12.7-10. And he says, I'll start midway through verse 7. So to keep me from becoming proud, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger from Satan to torment me, and to keep me from becoming proud. Three different times I begged the Lord to take it away. Each time he said, my grace is all you need. My power works best in weakness. So now, Paul says, I am glad to boast about my weaknesses so the power of Christ can work through me. That's why I take pleasure in my weaknesses and in the insults, hardships, persecution, troubles that I suffer for Christ. For when I am weak, then I am strong. When the Bible says my grace is all you need in this particular translation, other translations use my grace is sufficient. And the Greek word for sufficient is archaeo, which can also mean to be possessed of unfailing strength. And so the emphasis here is that God's grace really is more than enough to, for us to thrive in spite of our challenges. We do not celebrate or worship due to lack of difficult circumstances. I mean, who here has ever had a period of time where there's not been at least something that is on our mind? No, we worship because of who is in the midst of those circumstances with us. It's when there seems to be no way out, when we have no other option, when our wisdom and resources do not provide a solution, that is when God and his unfailing strength says, do not fear, I am with you. He is with you. Let's set the stage. Let's, let's, let's feed our perspective, shall we? So apart from the sun, the closest star to us is known as Proxima Centauri. It is 4.3 light years away, which is the equivalent to over 25 trillion miles. That's 25 with 12 zeros behind it. With a current level of technology, it would take 80,000 years to reach it. And that's just the closest star. In our galaxy alone, so the Milky Way, there is estimated to be about 300 billion stars. And if you could teleport instantly between these stars, didn't sleep, and spent just one second at each star's location, it would take you 9,512 years to visit each one. However, in the known visible universe, estimates place a number of stars between 1 billion trillion and 70 billion trillion. That's 70 with 21 zeros behind it. And once again, using our current level of technology, it would take 225 trillion years to reach the end of the known universe. That's the end of the known observable universe, because we can only see so much from you know, our Earth. 
we actually have no way of knowing just how mind-blowingly massive our universe is. I mean, the scale is so incomprehensibly big. And yet, and yet, our God, the creator of said universe, who spoke it into existence, is bigger. And it's not just the big picture. If we look closer to home, and we look at the intricate way that creation works, it's absolutely beautiful. Everything is made up of atoms, which is a building block that is so small, there are approximately 100 million atoms lined up in the length of my fingernail. And you just look at the complexity of our body, look at the complexity of our circulatory system, look at just how wonderfully we are made. Theoretical physicist Michio Kaku said, the human brain has 100 billion neurons, each neuron connected to 10,000 other neurons. Sitting on your shoulders is the most complicated object in the known universe. And our God designed and created it. There is no limit to the detail our God commands. He is the God of the macro and the micro, the God of the big picture and the intimate detail. He is the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end, the creator, not the created. There is nothing too big or too complex that he cannot overcome. And there is nothing too small, too seemingly insignificant that he is not aware of. And he is with you. In perhaps the most rhetorical question that has ever been asked, the Bible says, if God is for us, who can be against us? And indeed, if God Almighty is for us, who or what can be against us? It's not even a contest. Imagine, so we've got, have you ever watched, you know, grade ones play soccer? It's adorable. They chase the ball. It's just like watching these colored mobs just follow. It's fantastic. It's, I love it. But imagine taking, you know, a grade one soccer team and replacing one of the players with, say, Messi, who is widely considered to be the greatest soccer player that has ever existed. That might be up for debate, but still, he is quite fantastic. And all of a sudden, he's like, hey, Messi, Play with these kids, don't hold back. Use all your skill, use all your ability. If I was a betting man, I would probably bet on the team that Messi's in, because it wouldn't even be a contest. And then you take that idea and you increase it exponentially. It's not even a contest. We have God with us. What circumstance could we possibly be facing that is insignificant to him? Or it's not insignificant. Anyway, either one. Let's put it this way. Oh, I might get you to shout in a little bit. We're going to have some fun. <laughs> Kids in the playground, when they have you know, differences, when they have beefs with each other, you know, what's one thing they say? Do you know who my dad is? <laughs> Fear. Do you know who my dad is? Anxiety. Do you not know who my father is? Go on, let's do this. Ready? Fear. Fear. Do you not know who my dad is? Anxiety. 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 Do you not know who my father is? It's about perspective. He is with us. Now, you may or may not have noticed this glass of water that is next to me, and you may or may not have noticed that I actually haven't had a drink from it. That's because I, I measured it, so that's exactly at the halfway mark. So now we have a glass that is either half empty 
or half full, depending on your perspective. You know, I can choose to see what is there or what's missing. However, there's more. Literally, Pastor Jeremy, if you would be so kind. As followers of Christ and of those who have put him trust in him, we've put our trust in the one who can do more than we could possibly imagine. Our glass is overflowing. Because our God is not limited by what we see in the natural. Our God has the entire abundance of heaven at his command to pour into our circumstance. In fact, this jug doesn't even do this illustration justice. I mean, if I had a faucet that I could put over this and turn it on and just leave it running for all eternity, that's a better illustration. If I could actually take this cup and put it under a waterfall and just leave it there, that is a better illustration of just how big our God is, just how much abundance we can tap into when we focus on him and not our circumstances. Because he is with you and he is for you. Now, it's from this beautiful place of peace and security, from this place that we can step out confidently to love those and to serve those who need to find their hope and their refuge and their restoration in love of their God the Father. If we are debilitated by our circumstances, it is going to affect our ability to go and be the hands and feet of the God who loves the world so desperately. He sent Jesus to live, die, and be resurrected. Now, just before I wrap up with prayer, I wanted to finish with one last scripture. Because Psalm 23 has been a foundational scripture for many to stand on as we have navigated these troubling circumstances. And David, who wrote it in all his eloquence, sums up the message today beautiful. So Psalm 23, a psalm of David. The Lord is my shepherd. I have all that I need. He lets me rest in green meadows. He leads me beside peaceful streams. He renews my strength. He guides me along right paths, bringing honor to his name. Even when I walk through the darkest valley, I will not be afraid, for you are close beside me. Your rod and your staff protect and comfort me. You prepare a feast for me in the presence of my enemies, and you honor me by anointing my head with oil. My cup overflows with blessings. Surely your goodness, surely your goodness and unfailing love will pursue me all the days of my life. And I will live in the house of the Lord forever. Beautiful. <laughs> I am a, let me pray to close. Father, you are so unimaginably big. You are the almighty God. And yet, you know me by name, you know the hairs on my head, you know every single need I have ever had and will ever have before I was even born, and you always, always have provided a way, and all you ask is that I keep my eyes on you. You are more than capable, and you are more than worthy for my attention to always be turned to you. And I know that everything else will be given unto me, because you are faithful, you are good and you love me 
and you love every single person in this room. And for every single person in this room, I just pray, Father, for just a greater revelation of your peace and your security and your comfort and your love. Holy Spirit, may your presence be tangible today as we head back out into a chaotic time. But let our focus always be not on what surrounds us, but on who is with us in that chaos. We love you. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.